what's going on, everybody? My name is Reagan. And my name is Victor. And welcome to Sanctified-ish, conversations with pastors who have not figured it out. We have not figured it out. No, sir. You know what else we haven't figured out, Victor? What? Um, what? Why is it so easy for songs to get stuck in your head? Like, it is so hard for me to remember what I ate last night for dinner, but yep. I can remember every word from like replay by Ayaz from 15 years ago. Yes, also, every very, word. Every single word. Shoddy's like a melody in my head that I can't keep yes. out. Got me singing like, na 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 every nah, day. Nah. Got my <laughs> nah, nah, iPod. Nah, nah. Got my iPod. Stuck on what? What you got it stuck on? <laughs> Bro, you know that song is so old because it says got my iPod stuck on your play. Got my iTouch. That's, my that's iTouch. what I'm saying. That was like a sh- that was back when the iPod Shuffle existed. You remember that thing, the iPod Shuffle? It was a little nugget. The That's little all it was. Thing. It was a little I nugget. I wasn't allowed to have a real iPod, so I was, I was the one that got the Lego brick, the little square. Oof. Oof. And that's that's all I was allowed to have. It, were were I feel like you were a kid that easy, like easy. your first cell phone was a phone that could call like your mom in nine one one. Okay, so hold on. This is a whole, a whole different story. <laughs> this is completely off topic from where we were going with this intro. I derailed you. No, so I'm really stupid. So my very first phone was a Pantech. Have you ever heard? Do you remember the uh-huh. Pantex? Oh yeah. So it's like this brick, and it like it wasn't the one that flipped up. It just looked like a, a BlackBerry. Um, yep. Half of Mine our was audience. Orange. Yeah, half of our audience was born in 2010 and has no idea what that is. But there's a, basically we were down in my basement and this phone was on the counter and my mom and my sister were downstairs and my dad was upstairs and he was calling the phone. And so this phone was ringing and my mom like literally was like, hey, can you and go pick that up? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll go pick it up. Like whose phone is this? Why is this here? Why is it ringing? And why can't you pick this up? Right. And so I I pick it up and my dad's like, hey, this is your phone. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like it's it's the craziest thing ever. But I'm like never in my mind that I actually stop and process like what the heck is actually going on here? Whose phone is this? I remember, so I had one of those phones. Mine was orange. It was just a slab. I remember yeah. it. It was, yeah. and it had, I think, I think along the top of the keyboard, it had like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It was like a yeah. legit keyboard, but like my thumb <clears throat> can cover nine of the keys. And I remember, <laughs> I remember my dad, he was like, Victor, you have 200 text messages a month. That's yeah. all they got me. And whenever I sent a text message out, it counted as one. And whenever I received a text message, it counted as one. So one day, my friend, who was a jerk, John, if you're listening yeah. to this, John, and he he would he knew that I had 200 text messages a month, so he would text me on the first of every month, 199 <laughs> periods, <laughs> and, and he would leave me with one text message <laughs> for the whole month. You better you. <laughs> But friends, Bro. Are, friends are awful. Friends are awful, awful. terrible people. Those, like awful. friends are the only kind of people that would do that to you. Yes, um, I would do that to someone today. You would do that I to would. me, probably more, <laughs> if, more than likely. If I, if I had limited data, <laughs> you know, if I had game cricket, over. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember Go phones from back oh, in yeah. the day? Oh Dude, yeah. I like. It's, it's weird, like, the core memories I have. I'm like, I don't remember birthdays, but I remember going to the store and getting my grandma a Go phone. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if she ever used it, but, like, I vividly remember that thing. 
Mm-hmm. They were pretty cool. Remember, <laughs> we're old. We're old. Ish. We're, Speaking of that, I turned 26 tomorrow. Look at that. Wow. Actually, I was going to bring this up at the end, but I guess we'll just bring it up now. Happy birthday. Oh, were you? Oh, thank you. Happy birthday. You're thank in your you. late you're in your late 20s. Easy. Easy now. If it sounds better, we can say mid to late 20s. Mid mid but to late. Mid to mid late. Mid to late actually makes you sound older in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the phrasing of it. I'm, if I'm in my mid to late anything, that never, like, you don't say like I'm in my mid to late teens. You say I'm in my, in my, in my mid to late forties. Right. So there's right. like, I've never heard anybody say mid to late twenties before. The way um, my brain works is if I'm 25, I'm basically 30. Like I round up, but if I'm 30, I'm basically 35. Yeah. And if I'm basically 35, I might as well be 40. And by the time I'm done with this logical path, I'm like 200 years old and dead. You're already in the grave. The, <laughs> the way I logically explained it to my mom was I was like, I'm closer to 30 than I am 20. And she was like, you're 26. You just got off my insurance. Shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're, you're an adult you're now. Fine. Yeah, you're, you're fine, man. Calm down. Uh, Calm down. Funny. But no, thank but you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Happy birthday. Um, but yeah, I still can't get over this. My friend John, he he sucked. And I hope he he's did. listening to this podcast. Um, he did. But he was a good friend and I still love him. We still talk. I texted him yesterday. So. Well, here's the thing. Uh, he may not have been the best friend, at least a best friend in that moment. Um, but that is something that we're going to be talking about today is what makes a good friend, what makes a bad friend, and more specifically, yeah. how do friends sit with each other in suffering? So if I was a friend with you in middle school or high school, whenever you get that text message, man, I would sit with you and all 199 of those text messages. Um, I would probably send you that last 200th and that's the end of our friendship. But, uh, we're, we're pretty excited here for the, over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be taking, um, a deep dive into what the Bible says about friendship, um, and what that actually looks like for us. And so today we're going to be camping out in Job. Um, yeah. Victor and I, and our friend group are doing a, a Bible study, like a Bible through the year plan. And just really cruelly, they started off the year with Job, I know. which just, it sucks, <laughs> man. It was like Genesis <laughs> one through five. Everyone Job. dies in a flood. <laughs> Job. <laughs> it's like. I didn't even think about that. That's so true. <laughs> the Bible is so depressing sometimes, I'm like, man. shoot, man. We're, this first two weeks are brutal. But, but, but yeah, Job is great. And as difficult as that like middle chunk of Job is, I think this is a perfect book for us to camp out in, especially yeah. when we talk about what does it look like to suffer, to to lament well with your friend or to grieve alongside someone in your life who is genuinely suffering and hurting. And I think so. that's the thing you noted on right there. I think all of us can admit that we want people, we want friends to come around us when we're hurting. But I think the question is how often, like, how am I supposed to like care for people? Cause like, especially for me, I don't know how to care for people when they're hurting. I, I either feel like I'm encroaching in your personal space. If I text you or if I'm around you, or I feel like I'm not doing enough. If I don't text you at all, I can't cry when you start crying. Like, I, I, I don't know how to engage with this. So I think the question today isn't necessarily that you need friends to suffer with you, but rather, how do you lament? How do you suffer well? And honestly, how do you not carry their burdens? Yeah. So how can you sit with them and not carry their weight as if like you have to be their savior? Um, and so I think this is really going to be an interesting topic today. And before we dive into it, I actually just want to read this passage because this was of all the craziness in Job. 
this is probably the, the two to three verses that really stuck out to me. So this is Job 2, 11 through 13. And it says, now when Job's three friends heard all of this evil that came upon him, they came each from his own place. Oh gosh, I don't even know how to say these. Eliphaz, Temanite, Bildad, Shuite, Zophar, and Na- Naamith. Na- Naamith. That was good. Naamith. Naamith. Yeah. Yeah, Naamith. that one Thank was you. the easiest one, I think. Thank you. I appreciate that. I should have practiced that. Um, they, they made an appointment to come together to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and they wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. Like, okay, notice this. And then they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. Yeah. Like Job just lost everything, everything. And his friends who we make the most fun of, cause they come in and like their theology is terrible. They're their friends that you don't listen to, but they do this right. Yeah. They see their friends suffering and they sit with him for seven days. And I think there's a lot that we can unpack with that in this episode today. Yeah. The fascinating thing that I recognize about Job's friends up front is that their intention to begin, like the heart behind what they were doing was good, right? I mean, it says that that they were going to sympathize with their friend Job. They were they were they're, going they're to more be with most. their hurting friend. Right. They're doing they're, way they're, more than they're most. They're doing more than most. Yeah. And they do a they do way more than most later on. They, they kept, but they kept like, going. They yeah. kept going. <laughs> and it's like, man, I when I see that, I'm like, man, how many times in my life do I fail to even have the right intention? Now, I know that having the right intention does not necessarily mean that a good result will be produced, but like their heart was to go comfort their grieving friend. And I'm like, yeah. man, for us, if we can't start there, then we can never go further. We can never grieve well alongside someone. Um, and I, I also find it interesting about just like you, you read through the book of Job and once you hit chapter 12, it's basically the same thing over and over again, but you should still read it because it's good. Um, but man, the word is profitable. The word, yeah, amen. Um, but Job's friends, a lot of the stuff they say is, kind of right yeah like like a lot like they they say like man how can a righteous god how how can a righteous god condone or be in the presence of sin amen a righteous god can't condone or be in the presence of sin but the position in which job's friends were were talking to job man they, they were missing the mark because it wasn't job's sin that yeah. necessitated his suffering. And so mm. as you go through the book of Job, mm. really in like chapter five, when Job's friends decide to open their mouth, everything takes a turn for the worst. So I think you just touched on something right there that I think oftentimes we try to fix people instead of sit with people. Like Job came or his friends came in and they were just like, hey man, like they started off great. They sat with him for seven days. And then they tried to fix his situation. Like you can't fix an entire family dying. You can't fix all of his wealth going away. You can't fix the illness on his body. That's unfixable things. But they try to fix it with this wrong theology. And that's where they start going down the wrong path. Yeah. And so oftentimes, like we, we run into issues with this when like your job is to simply just go there and sit with people. 
Yeah. And that doesn't mean like we don't speak the gospel over them. It doesn't mean that we don't have hope and we're just kind of these like lump potatoes that just sit next to people for seven days. But I'm like, your job, like you, you don't know what they're going through and yeah. you don't know what they're suffering with. And I think also anytime I read this passage, like if I could just free myself up from this, I think especially as pastors, there's a lot of dumpster fires around me and there's a lot of hurting people around me. I can't be that for everybody. I can't. Um, And like, you can't be that for every single person in your life. So like, notice it's Job's friends. Yep. It's his his inner circle. His inner circle that came around him. And that's like just a common theme for us. Like on the show is like, you need community. Like your community, your small group, your friend group, the people in your church, your family. Like these are the people that come around you when you're suffering because they're also the ones that know why you're suffering. Yep. And so often like we just come in and we just misdiagnose. Well, this is clearly the reason. This is clearly the reason. And I love that you even pointed out. It's like Job didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Like he didn't. Um, Just because you suffer doesn't mean you sinned. Yeah. And sometimes like we come in, it's like, oh, we try to connect the spiritual dots. Like where, where's the issue? Where have you not been faithful? Where have you not prayed? And that's just not always the case. It really isn't. Yeah. And, and, and this is where Job will eventually go wrong, right? Like as we approach chapter 50 in the book of Job, which that's, that's a lot of talking. Like we talk about how great it was that Job's friends sat for seven days, but they did, they did 48 chapters of talking and one chapter, like eight if verses you, of listening. Okay. Well, so if you want to, if you want to diagnose Job, Job is a, uh, he's a verbal processor. Yeah. And so he, he literally just processes for, for, for 50 chapters. But like the most amazing thing is like God basically lets him go on this rant, the entire book. And then he just says, who can contend with the almighty shut up. Yep. And like, that's like, that's his response. And that's basically the book of Job. And it's one of the most beautiful things. Like, even if you are going through suffering, like even the whole point of the book of Job is like, we may never understand this side of eternity, why suffering is happening. We may not understand why bad things happen to good people or good things happen to bad people. We may not understand half the things that go on in this world, but like he is the almighty and I'm not, and he is good and I'm not. And those are just some things that we have to be okay with. And that's why he's given us people to suffer with in community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think about e- even in modern day context right the the lamenting process or the grieving process i think grieving with someone and you grieving can can do two things and and i guess i'll take the perspective here of someone who is grieving alongside someone who's suffering right learning to grieve with someone does you good right it teaches you to listen first and to speak last not it's like listen first second and third fourth fifth and sixth Seventh and eighth, ninth and tenth. And then all the way at the end, if you have something to say, make it scripture and not from yourself, right? It's like when you sit with someone who is hurting, you are there to hear them, to listen to them because you cannot fix it. And this is where we go wrong, right? We like to play the role of the savior. We like to play the role of the person or the role of the thing that can fix the circumstance. I mean, if you're married or if you have a significant other, you feel this a lot, right? It's like Mm -hmm. when the person who you care about most in this world is suffering and there's nothing that you can do to fix it, what do you do? Where does your heart go? And a lot of times we opt to try to fix it. 
But when we try and fix it, we, one, get the character of God wrong like Job's friends. But two, we're not powerful enough to fix it. Sure, maybe we could, maybe Job's friends could have helped him with his wealth, maybe. But with the boils on his skin, with the death of his family, there is nothing that Job's friends could have done to have fixed the suffering that Job was yeah. experiencing. So when you are grieving alongside a friend... Your primary role here is to listen. It teaches you, it sanctifies you in being able to hear, but it also shows the person who is suffering that you care enough to put your preference aside and to hear them where they're at. So if I could even just dig a little bit deeper into that, um, it's like, yeah, like they sat with Job, but like Job's pain become their pain. Like if you looked at it, like they tore their clothes, like they put like yep. ashes over their head, like they lamented, they felt it. And yep. so it's like, it wasn't just their presence, but it was their posture with Job. And so I think like, if we're getting like really practical with this, it's like, again, not everybody's pain around you can become your pain, but like your inner circle, when one of your friends is hurting, it's like, yes, go stand near them. Like your presence is really powerful. But there is something about like taking on that 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 pain and that weight and that burden um, that is really healing to that person. It's like no, like I know you're hurting in that, and I'm hurting with you, and I feel that, and it's empathy and it's sympathy. It's not just my physical presence. Um, but here's the thing: I even want to throw back at you is like that's a double edged, uh, double sided coin. Yep. Is it so often like we we want to take on that pain? It's a good thing to take on that pain, but man, that gets heavy. And oftentimes like that's not my weight to carry. And so where's, where's the line between wanting to sympathize and wanting to empathize and wanting to take on that pain of other people and carrying a burden that God and Jesus alone was supposed to, was supposed to carry. For you to grieve well alongside someone who is suffering, Christ has to be the, the thing, the person that is sitting on the throne of your heart. If your life isn't pointed and directed and chasing after the person of Jesus, then what will happen is when you feel the pain and suffering that your friend is going through, even though it is a significantly lighter load than what they are experiencing, when you experience that, you will take it as your own. Remember that savior complex? Or you will direct it towards the throne. And you can only direct it towards the throne if Jesus is sitting on that throne of your life. And I think this is where Job's friends go wrong. They begin to speak to Job as if they they can fix Job's problem. Job, That's you good. just need to do this. That's Job, good, you just need to realize you've screwed this up. Job, you just need to understand that you that you have sinned. And that you need to repent of your sin. And what what Job's friends do is instead of pointing Job to God's grace, they point Job towards their own form of salvation. And that's ultimately where Job's friends go wrong. Job's friends know who God is. They understand the theology of it, but they don't know how to take the, the knowledge and apply yeah. it to someone who's hurting. And a lot of times we can go into situations knowing the knowledge, but not knowing how to transfer that knowledge in a helpful way to the person who's suffering to point them back to Jesus rather than to, I mean, really make the suffering significantly worse. Yeah. 
I think even just to double down on your point, I think the biggest thing that I've learned in pastoral ministry so far is that I'm insufficient for every single moment of pastoral care. I don't have the answers. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the ability to fix what you're going through. And I think what you just said, the moment we feel, all right, I'm here to save the day. I'm here to take your pain. I'm here to make this better. It can come from really good intentions. It can, but that's the role of the spirit. That, 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 that's not our role. And like, I think we talk a lot about yielding to the spirit and prayer and in preaching and in all these other things, but like, even in, even in care situations, like what would it look like to yield to the Holy spirit in those moments? Like, all right, Lord, like I'm just a vessel of, of your healing and your care. What, what, what does this person need today? And what can I offer? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's your presence. Sometimes it's a shared burden. Um, sometimes like, I love that you said, like speak scripture over them. Yeah. Um, sometimes people don't need your wisdom. Uh, I think I forget who this pastor was, but one time they said like, every time, uh, I went into a hospital room, it might've been Eugene Peterson, um, that, that they walked in for their first ever hospital vet of a hospital visit. And the family asked uh, him to read scripture and he didn't have a Bible or anything like that. And he just couldn't think of scripture off the top of his head. Like he just, his mind just cluttered up. And so every, every visit after that, he brought his Bible in and he just read Psalm 23. And there's just something about reading the scripture over somebody. Like there's like the cliche, just like, just memorize the verse and everything will be okay. Like that's not necessarily true, but let's not undermine the comforting aspect of the scripture either. And so like those two things can be held in tension. Um, that it's good for us to remind like where our, where our hope comes from, like where our refuge is that, um, those are things that we need to be pouring into people. Not necessarily, like you said, like, here's your three-step plan to how you can get out of this hole. Right. It's, it's fascinating because Job's friends did much more talking to Job than talking to God on Job's behalf. Okay. And I think, I think this is an important distinction. Yep. Oh, Man, like, we need to go to Jesus on behalf wow. of our suffering friend. Yeah. And it's like a, a good measure for you as to whether or not you are suffering or grieving well with someone who's suffering is, yeah. man, you need to do double, triple, four times Pray as for much them, talking man. to Jesus Pray than for you them. do to them in their Pray situation. Pray for them. Pray for yeah. them. I mean, like, you don't think God wants to heal them? You don't think God has the power to heal them? Like, I mean, that, that's, that's conviction for me. Yeah. I mean, like the amount of times, like how many times have I prayed that for my friends? I mean, like that, that right there, man, like I know oftentimes like the cliche thing is like, Hey, I'll pray for you. But like that, that is the number one thing that we can pray for. Like all healing, all authority, all power comes from him. And if we actually believe that God could do it and wanted it to do it, I think we would pray a lot more than we actually do. Like, it's not just like, oh, you can't do anything else. So therefore, like, I guess I'll just pray for you. I could give you money, but I'm going to pray for you. I could give you wisdom or a sermon, but I I guess I'll just pray for you. Um, Man, that's that's good, man. Yeah, I think we, you know, our actions are in extension of our beliefs, right? At its core, what you believe will outwork into how you act. And if we believe that prayer is powerful, 
that prayer is a primary means in which we can approach the throne of God and bring our requests to him. If we believe that to be so fundamentally true about the Christian religion, then we would do it significantly more and and we would hold it with a significantly heavier weight than what we do. And it's like the, like you said, like we'll say, yeah, praying for you. And it's almost like our cop out answer. Like someone's like, man, I just had like a really hard week. I'm praying Bro, for you. It twi- it's like, we I don't, it twice we don't today. know how to respond. <laughs> yes. It's just yeah, like, it's it almost today. like the, yeah. it's like the common Christian response when we don't know what yeah. to say to someone who, yeah. who is hurting. And man, I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have been in situations where someone will share about their suffering. And Christians yeah. did not know how to respond to that other than just saying, oh, I mean, we, we will lift you up. And there's power in praying for that person, yeah. but but we cannot use I'm just going to pray for you as some form of cop out to grieve alongside someone who's suffering. Well, and this this is a wonderful thing that I think I've seen uh, in the church that we're a part of, that it's just like there are times that we'll kind of stop the service and was like, hey, is anybody suffering? Is anybody hurting right now? Like, yep. would you stand up? And the people around us, like, we may not know you, but like lay hands on you and pray over you. And the beautiful thing about that is that person can hear the prayers. Like yep. God, God can hear the prayer in my room, praying for the person halfway across the country. Like he hears that and there's power in that. But there's a special encouragement that comes when that person who's walking in suffering can hear strangers, family members, friends, praying over this person and it's like well i don't know them what do i pray pray scripture pray the truths about god those are the things that are unchanging regardless of the circumstances person is walking in and man i don't know i'm just you've convicted me on our own podcast like that's just like (laughs) oh you've convicted i mean this is it's just a convicting thing because yeah i mean just like humans christians like pastors myself are just really bad at this and well, this, this, this is the same thing. This is the same thing we talked about in a prayer episode a couple. We just did three episodes on prayer and we talk about prayer more than we actually pray. Yep. And like that's that's the nature of my own life. That's the nature of a lot of our lives. And the Lord desires to heal. He desires to to work and do miraculous things. And sometimes like I think like yielding to the spirit is just like it's a, it's a flowing river that you can't change. And oftentimes I feel like we don't see these miraculous works of the spirit through prayer because we are paddling upstream and we're fighting against the current and like simply just asking Lord, what do you want? Where do you want to move? Um, and going along with where the Lord is already moving and working and just praying that the Lord would open up where those ministry opportunities are. Um, I think we'd see a lot more fruit that way. I'm curious to know your thoughts about this. Um, And this is me just kind of like openly processing this here. Um, But in Job, God is ultimately dissatisfied with the way that Job suffers. Because near the end there, Job starts to waver a little bit. And Job says something along the lines of like, hey, God, I'm righteous. I, I don't deserve this. And then God drops this like, where were you when I created yeah you know, the, the heavens and the earth. And where were you when I slayed the behemoth? Like, and, and God just kind of like drops this God bomb on Job. And I'm curious to know that if, if Job was surrounded by friends who would have suffered and grieved well around Job, 
if the outcome of Job's suffering would have looked different. And the reason yeah. I'm curious about this is because, like, man, when I'm suffering, the external influences, the people that surround me, especially when I'm suffering, carry a significant amount of weight. Like, I hold the opinions and the things yeah. that my friends say, especially in my inner circle, significantly weightier than than other people. Yeah. And it's like, man, do I want to be surrounded by people who are going to point me to Jesus in the midst of my suffering? Or do I want to be surrounded by people who are going to point fingers at me or point me elsewhere other than Jesus? And then on the flip side, do I, when my friend is suffering, want to be someone that points him to Jesus or her to Jesus? Or mm -hmm. do I want to be someone that points him or her elsewhere? And I'm like, man, if Job would have been surrounded by friends that would have pointed him to God, yeah. would would the outcome of the book of Job look a little bit different? So I think two things are true. One, we say this to our students a lot, but the difference between friends and community is that friends have common interests. We like the same things. We do the same things. We go to the same school. Community has a common purpose, and that's to glorify Jesus. So not everybody in your community necessarily needs to be your friend. And if you're surrounded by a lot of friends and don't have community, that's a lot more dangerous than having community and no friends. Yep. Um, and so like what we see here is these are Job's friends. It's not really his community because they don't have the common purpose of pointing all of each other towards God. At the same time, what we see here is like just the goodness of God that, yeah, Job didn't have that, but like the Lord was still enough and the Lord was still good. And the Lord sustained Job. Like it sucks yes. the entire book. It's an awful book to read. It's just suffering after suffering, after suffering, after suffering, like, but the Lord sustained Job and the Lord was good to Job. Um, and I think like, if you just even want to take, summarize all of this, like one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. And he is still good to Job, whether Job has a lot or whether Job has a little bit. And so I think that's an encouragement for people listening. And it's even been an encouragement for me that I'm like, when I haven't had community, or maybe you don't have the community like Job, you don't have the people speaking in your life. Like the Lord is still sovereign and he's still good and he's still sufficient for you. And if that's something that you want, pray for it. Like that's a desire that he loves to answer. Yeah. I think, I, I really do think, I mean, we said that this is going to be a series, but this is probably, this probably will end up being a longer series than even what we have forecasted. Because I think the amount of times that on this podcast, we have said it all goes back to community has been a lot, at least probably once in every episode. And so we really want to spend these next couple of episodes diving into what good, beautiful, gospel-centered, healthy community looks like. And then hopefully, by the time we get to our, our final episode, we will bring on like that community that, that we get to experience in the church and how beautiful that is. I am scared. They're wild. They're wild. Scared <laughs> for that episode. Um and so we'll see we'll see how that goes yeah. but y'all 
Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. We are thankful for each and every one of you. We are so encouraged by the notes, by the emails, by the texts that we receive from people. Just just really commenting on how, you know, maybe some of the things that the Lord has has used our podcast in their life to, to encourage them. Those things encourage us. So if, if yeah, if you want to yeah. text us, if you want to send us an email, just let us know. Um, man, what the Lord is doing in your life, that would be so incredibly encouraging to us. You can also email us, sanctifiedish at gmail.com. Let us, let us know any questions, comments, concerns that you may have. We want to talk to you. We want to hear from you. And so make sure to reach out to us via email. Guys, make sure to hit us up on social media at ReaganJones97 and at Rotsiv157. And we will see you in the next one. Until then, take care and God bless. You're getting better at those outros, buddy. This episode was sad. (laughs) This episode was like the book of Job. (laughs) It's like that front half was pretty good. That back half got real depressing real quick. And I don't know what that middle section was. (laughs) That middle chunk, though.